Shalom, shalom. Welcome, welcome, world changers. We are getting into some really, really interesting chapters in Isaiah. We're going to be reading Isaiah chapter 54 all the way through to Isaiah chapter 53. So we're going to be covering uh, topics such as the invitation to the thirsty. If you're really thirsty for more, spiritually speaking, if you're thirsty for him, Yeshua said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. So we're going to be talking about the invitation to the thirsty. It's very important to be thirsty. We're also going to be talking about the importance of humility. Also, true fasting. How to get God's attention in fasting. You know, there are a lot of people who fast and God pays no attention to it whatsoever. But we're going to, we're going to talk about the key to fasting and the key to unlocking that, that door, so to speak, so that, uh, God's, God will really pay attention to, uh, to your fasting and to your prayers and such. We're also going to be talking about why the good Sometimes die young. It tells us within the, within the scope of scripture that we're going to read tonight. It tells us, it answers the question, why is it that sometimes the good die too young? We'll find the answer to that. Also, of course, always the, the importance of repentance doesn't matter where you go in the Tanakh. I'm telling you, you find any good portion of scripture, you're going to be reading about the importance of repentance. Also, Isaiah is going to be talking about his glory will rise on you. So we're going to read that. His glory will rise on you. We're going to talk about how the Spirit of God uh, will anoint you and can anoint you and has especially anointed Jesus, uh, number one, anointed Yeshua. And so his anointing, how that works that we're going to get into that in Isaiah chapter 61. We're also going to get into a very, very powerful and very serious topic of the end time day of judgment as per Isaiah chapter 63. I pray that everything that we share here today will be a great, great blessing to you all. So I want to talk about two things here before we get into this. I had someone submit a question. I'm going to get into that. There was a, a lady who submitted a question and so I wanted to address this. So this particular question was whether or not it is absolutely necessary for everyone to be born again. If it's absolutely necessary for everyone to be born again. And this is a really, really good question. I should say back in the day, my own experience uh, in, in uh, uh, going around and doing ev evan evangelical work, I guess you would call it, out on the streets and in churches and in uh, many various venues and everything I would be preaching uh, as uh, as I believed uh, you know the gospel is to be preached probably the most important message in my preaching back in those days I mean this would have been 1992 1993 four five you know uh, 1996 is um, you must be born again you must be born again and so that concept comes from, we only have, well, that particular phrase, born again, 
is from John, the Gospel of John, chapter three, when when Yeshua is talking to Nicodemus, and uh, like Nicodemus is is you know comes basically by night. Uh, the story goes, and it's like Nicodemus is like sneaking around and and uh, and confronts, well, not confronts, but meets more or less Yeshua, and says, you know, uh, kind of greets him with a very nice kind of a greeting, and Yeshua just turns around and says, I tell you, no no one can see the kingdom of God unless a man be born again. And that kind of threw him back in the story. Here is where I stand on the issue of being born again. We see the concept in various places throughout Scripture. Like, for example, I believe Abram becoming Abraham was like a born again experience for him. I believe that Jacob becoming Israel was like a born again, a born again experience for him. It says that when King Saul, the spirit of God came upon King Saul, he was like a new man. So we do see the concept over and over again in scripture. Now it is, I do have to say that it is not as prevalent from Genesis to Revelation, as most evangel most evangelists would would make it to be, it's not. What I mean is this: I don't. I believe there are some people, especially people that say, for example, again, I always talk about babies and toddlers and you know people that are like that. That I don't. I do not believe they need to be born again to uh, to enter the kingdom of heaven. Because they are innocent, right? Like, so they, there really, really isn't any sin in their life at all. Uh, and so, as I said before, like they are basically, they are heavens. They are perfect material for heaven. Like they're, they're not perfect, but they're, they're sinless as far as I understand it. So I wouldn't say that a baby needs to be born again. And you, so, uh, some people have different ideas of what born again means. So let me just explain that too as well, because I want to answer this. I want to get into this as thoroughly as possible. Some people believe that, especially like in a, in a maybe like a more of a Roman Catholic background, if you sprinkle or so-called baptize a baby with water, that's almost like the baby's getting born again. That's not <laughs> being born again. Uh, so um just getting baptized even is not getting born again. Uh, getting sprinkled with water is not getting born again. Um, saying the sinner's prayer is not getting born again. I'm getting in more into more of a Protestant evangelical definition of it now. A lot of, most people I know of, well, let me just say, most people, as far as I know of, do not know what it means to be born again. I, I understand that passage to mean you become a new person. Your old sinful self is gone. You become a brand new person. I mean, that's a very simple way to put it. I mean, it's a lot more, there's, there's a lot involved to that. And I've, ex I've explained uh, several times in the past several months of my experience of what I would call born again. Now, again, there are people who believe that uh, you're not even really born again until you are resurrected. So I, we got people that have that belief as well. Um, so 
I understand Yeshua's born again message to mean being born in the spirit like Abram was born in the spirit, or at least Abram became Abraham, Jacob became Israel, became a new person, um, or another, like another identity. Um, I don't believe that babies need to be born again. Some Roman Catholic people and other people would say, well, when you, when you dedicate a baby or when you, when you, uh, so-called baptize a baby, uh, in the, I think even Orthodox as well would do this, but they would, they would actually, uh, actually dunk a baby underwater. Uh, and, and some people would call that being born again. I don't think born again has anything the way it's described in John chapter three. I don't think that it has anything to do with a physical thing. It's a, it's spiritual. It's not physical as far as I see it. Um, would I say today that everyone needs to be born again? Babies don't need to be born again. I don't think toddlers need to be born again. If someone is in the, the position of, you know, they're definitely not, they're definitely secular they have or they have more they love secular things more than they love god they love the world more than they love god they love what the world can offer them more than what god offers them then yeah i mean that person if if anybody fits that profile i would say that person needs a complete renovation a spiritual renovation a rebirth i guess you would call it a born again experience and there are a lot of people i would say that they actually do need to be born again and if they're not they will not see the kingdom of heaven however there are some people that i would not say that to and the reason being is because uh it, it, i mean it's I, I I look at things. There's a lot more. It's it's a lot more complicated than what a lot of people think it is, right? So, it depends on the person. Um, I think about somebody like my grandmother, for example. Um, like she was the type of person that you like she would. I lived with her for 14 years and she was the type of person that she would never say an offensive word. She never, you know, was, was not a smoker or drink never had any kind of alcoholic beverage in her, in her house at all, or never, never, I've never seen her drink at all ever. Um, never involved with any kind of, uh, recreational drugs and her, as far as her, uh, more at, like, um, as far, as far as her lifestyle is concerned, uh, she was a very pure lady, like very, very pure. Uh, she is like, you, you wouldn't, uh, you could not point out anything, um, that she's ever done. That's against God's word. Very, a very good lady and a very, very good example. Um, now, 
I have preached many times. She has heard many times that she needs to be born again. Um, and she has, uh, because she has been very much involved or exposed to um, evangelical type preaching where they call people forward and say the sinner's prayer, she would always be the type of person that would, she would even say the sinner's prayer under her breath, just, I guess, just for, I don't know exactly why she would do that other than just, just to make sure that everything's good, you know? Um, but um, I would not say that someone like her it's hard it's very difficult i would not say that someone like her needs to experience exactly what i have experienced a lot of people do if you have somebody who is who doesn't really love god with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. There needs to be some work done there. If a person loves something of the world, does not really have a gravitational pull towards holiness and the things of God, okay, then yeah, there needs to be an experience. Everybody needs to experience God. Everybody needs to experience God. I've said this before. I'll say it again because it just came to my mind. You know, we have people come on here that accuse me of not, um, you know, not uh, you know, being too much into the word, being too much into the, you know, trying to figure things out or something like that. Too, being too much into the, you know, the dead word instead of really being into the living spirit, you know, too much into the letter so much and not so much into the spirit. So I get people that accuse me of that. Uh, but I've said this before. I mean, I've had, I've had many, many um, uh, prayer meetings where people would accuse me of the opposite. It's like, oh, you know, you need to get into the word more and not so much into the spirit. <laughs> so, um, but everybody needs to have that. They need to have an experience with God. Some people, all they need is a refreshing. Some people, they don't really need anything. They're already there. Some people, they do need a born again experience. Whatever the case is, we need to have an ex we need to have our, our walk with God needs to be there needs to be an experience there. There needs to be reality there. It, there can't be just it can't be just words on a paper or doctrine. We can't be just going through the motions. Like, oh, uh, well, I, you know, I do everything right, therefore I'm good. Well, yeah, that could be the case. Um, but is that spark really there? Do you really have that spark in you that says, you know what? Well, at the end of the day, so to speak, I'm getting into the word. I am meditating on the word. It is my meditation all the day. It's not enough just to go through the motions without actually having that heart, the spirit of the word, so to speak. You know, we read it in the Psalms, as the deer pants for the water. Um, 
Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation day and night. Do we really meditate upon his word like that? Do we really love him like that? Are we really seeking God like that? Let me, you know what? I'm going to tell you an experience. I'm going to tell you guys an experience I had. And perhaps this, I, I'm, you know, I want you guys to connect with me. I want you guys to connect with me. Because I'm telling you, I believe this to be the truth. If you have, it, all it takes is that hunger and thirst. And it's awesome that that's the, one of the first things we're going to be talking about tonight and we're, we're going to be reading about. Thirst. I was at a meeting. This would have been about 20, uh, how many years ago now? 22? No, 24 years ago. I was at a meeting. It was, it was a really good meeting, actually. I was at a, I was at a church, believe it or not. I was at a church. There must have been about, it must have been over a thousand people, maybe 1,500, 2,000 people in attendance. And um, there was this guest speaker. And this guest speaker was up talking about this very, uh, this very thing, about being hungry and thirsty. And he was talking about how he was in South Korea and how hungry, how thirsty these people really are. And he was he was going on talking about how, you know, they they were just they would basically do anything for just more of of God, more of God's word. And as this speaker was was talking, okay. I don't know how many of you have ever experienced this or not, but sometimes in certain meetings, there is an atmospheric charge. There's a charge in the atmosphere. As this, as this person was speaking, the atmosphere just got more and more charged with being hungry and thirsty after God. And I got to the point where I just Literally, um, I was at the edge of my seat. I was literally just at the edge of my seat. And um, I, I was just ready. I, I just felt like just jumping up and running forward. I didn't do it uh, at that time, uh, at least not immediately. Um, I, f I felt like, you know, the, the, uh, the atmosphere was so charged. And in and there was just such a, a spirit of desperation for God and hunger for God and being thirsty for God. And it grew and grew and grew and grew in this meeting until I literally could hardly stay seated. I wanted to just run. I just wanted to run up forward. Like just I just wanted to just act out what I felt in the spirit. Just to just to run. And a lot of people won't understand what I'm talking about. But there was this point in, in this meeting where it was like irresistible. I was about ready just to jump off my seat, literally. And out of the corner of my eyes, I saw someone else do that. I saw someone else jump up 
out of their seat and they started running forward. I thought, I, not before me. You're not going there. Right. So I jump up and I run forward. By the time I got full, by the time I got to the front, I wasn't that far back. Okay. I wasn't that far back. I really wasn't. But by the time I got there, hundreds of people were already there. And I was right at the edge of like the platform. And I experienced something that day that I will never, ever forget. See, it's the only time in my life I felt so hungry and so thirsty and that I ever just jumped onto my seat and ran like that. But there's this like a platform, like I don't know how else, I don't know how to describe it. Let's just say this is the platform, right? Let's just say this is the platform that you're looking at, like cross section. Okay, here's the platform, right? And then here, down here, this is like the the floor, okay? And so I'm right up, I'm right up close to the platform, and there's actually one row of people right in front of me, and and the the atmosphere was so intense, so beautiful and intense. I don't know how else to describe it. Beautiful and intense in a, in a beautiful way, in a glorious way. And so I just, I just had my, I just had my hands, like I just had my hands extended like this and I was just praising God and I felt something. I thought, well, this is really, really, did I just, did I just, was that real? Did I really feel that? So I was standing, I don't know how, I don't know how to describe this without actually, <laughs> it's like uh, I was standing. Again, here's the fl the floors down here, and I'm up here, and and uh, and so I'm standing there, and I'm reaching my my arms, and as I reach my arms over the platform, I could feel like as if it was an electrical force field that I was putting my hands into. I know people would think that's super weird and like really strange and just totally crazy, but this is how it, this is what it was. It wasn't, it was, it was like, it was real. It was, it was like, put it this way. Again, I'm going to say something really crazy, but this is the only way for me to describe it. If you were to take a, a pool of water and electrify it and stand it up straight so that the wall is like, like put it, if you were in um, the days of Moses, when they were going through the Red Sea and a wall of water on the, on the right and a wall of water on the left, if that water was electrified, if that water had an electric charge to it and you put your hands in it, that's what I felt. That's what I felt. It was very tangible. Very distinct. I could feel when my hand, when I put my hands into it, I could feel when I'm pulling my hands out of it. Very, very distinct. And it was an electric charge. Like it was just an amazing experience. So you might say, well, what do you, why are you, why are you explaining this? Because at a point when I really expressed my hunger and thirst, for God at a time when I really, really just out of desperation ran forward and just threw myself on, uh, you know, at the Lord's presence, so to speak, I experienced that. You have to be hungry. You have to be thirsty. You have to 
have, you have to be desperate. You cannot just go through the motions of just, and I'm speaking to Torah observers now. You cannot just go through the motions of, you know, observing Sabbath and, you know, doing the feasts, right? I mean, amen to all that. I mean, everybody needs to do that. Everybody needs to do that. Don't get me wrong. Absolutely. Every, every believer needs to do that. But if there's not a connection with God where you, you have a very, very personal, meaningful, deep relationship with God that you really, because if you do all the motions and if you still do not love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and if you go through all the motions and you still do not love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you know, you read the Psalms, right? You read the Psalms where, you know, David expressed himself and how much he hungered and thirsted for God and how much he just just really, um, he was just so desperate for God. As the deer pants for the water. How he seeks God. That's actually part of the Torah too. I mean, you know, think about it and uh, uh, talk about the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, uh, Yeshua was uh, quoted. He, he said, "In your law, it says," and he quoted Psalms. He quoted Psalms as Torah. So, when it comes to people, does everybody need to be born again? Babies don't need to be born again. Toddlers don't need to be born again. I think that some people don't. I know that evangelicals would just, they'd be just going crazy right now hearing me say that because, well, it says in John chapter three that everyone must be. Well, I mean, first of all, there's a couple things there. Gospel of John, as we know, as I said, the Gospel of John is something that we need to take with a grain of salt. Another thing is that concept is not clearly taught in in most of the scriptures. It's not clearly taught. I say most because it is in some, but it's not like it's not it's not taught as much as obedience and repentance is, so to speak, if you know what I mean. Like for example, we've read through 53 chapters of Isaiah so far. Actually, everything. Well, I mean, let's just take Isaiah for for example. We we read through 53 chapters of Isaiah. Now, I'm not saying it's not in there, but honestly, I'm not I can't think of any place up like from chapter 1 to chapter 53. I can't think of any place where it actually talked about that kind of experience. So, would I say that everyone needs to be? And I understand the concept. I understand, you know, if a parent has a child, I totally understand that. Parent wants the absolute best for the child and wants to wants the child to experience what they've experienced. And that is very honorable. 
And I think every person, every person needs to experience God, no matter what you call it. You need to experience God, need to have that love, to love the Lord, to love, you know, um, to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, no matter what. So it all depends, really. At the bottom, the bottom line is this, it all depends on the circumstances. It all depends on the person. I'm sure if I'm, you know, knowing a lot of details about somebody, I know I can, I'll tell you right now, I mean, there are some people I would say, you absolutely need to be born again. No doubt about it. There are some people I really wouldn't, I really wouldn't say that to. You know? Um, But I wish everybody had an experience, had, you know, had, I wish everybody experienced God in a very, very powerful and personal way. It's, you know, it makes all the difference. And I talked about this there the other night, a few nights ago, how I had an experience. I still have this book in front of me. I always have it. For some reason, it's always here. This book, when I read it, it just absolutely, I had, I, I experienced um, reading that, reading this book, uh, and it has seven, seven steps to freedom in, uh, in Christ, it's steps to freedom in Christ, seven steps. And the last step, I read it and uh, prayed the prayer and, you know, asked the Father to fill me with his spirit. And it was just an amazing, amazing, amazing experience. And I just, I, I just went out and I bought, like I said, I, I was like, teenager at the time and i just bought 50 copies of these just to hand out to people just because i thought wow people just need to understand people need to experience this and i still say people need to experience it but i do understand as well that there are some people there are different people in different places and different people, you know, come from different places, have different backgrounds. So it's a very, very tough thing. You see, Jesus didn't go around. Even in the Gospel of John, he didn't go around telling everybody that they needed to be born again either. He told one man in the dark at night Privately, well, half part, I guess you say, privately, I guess you would say. Um, but after that, it's like, you know, he, he didn't really preach that to everybody. So that's my take on the subject. If anybody has any more questions regarding that, um, please feel free to ask. I mean, I just, I'm just kind of speaking from my, right from my heart and just speaking right off the top of my mind on, on the subject. So, uh, that's where I am. I, I long to see everybody experience God, like how I, uh, how I did. And I think that there's much, much more to experience. I think that there's much, much more to experience. Remember this one dream that I had, that it was such a powerful dream. I think I shared this before. It was such a powerful dream 
I, and I'm not exaggerating, I thought I was dead. I thought I died and probably went to heaven or went to God. I don't know. I literally, when I woke up, I was literally like slapping myself, pinching myself, like looking back in the bed, like, do I see my body here? Or am I, am I still alive? It was such a powerful dream of God's presence. I thought that I was dead. I mean, I thought, wow, how can anybody experience? Like, it was just so powerful. And it was that dream, actually, that, that kind of pushed me on to where I am today as well. As one of the, one of the steps, I believe God showed me through that dream that he feels very sad about the condition of the church today. And he's also very angry with this counterfeit grace, greasy grace, counterfeit uh, um, hyper grace gospel that is just making people comfortable in their sins and all this uh, Pollyannity going around and everything. It's just, uh, I believe that God is absolutely both very sad and very angry. And once we come into the place of being really, really holy as he is holy, it says, be holy as I am holy, says the Lord. He didn't say, I am your holiness. Don't worry about being holy. I am your holy. He said, you be holy just as I am holy. Just like Jesus said, be perfect as my heavenly, as, as your heavenly father is perfect. Of course, we can't be perfect in the eyes of men, but perfect in the eyes of God, at least perfect in regards to the, our walk with, with God and the Torah. And again, let's not forget, and I, you know, I, I really appreciate um, this, uh, this question that came into me because it's like, let's not forget in all of our Torah observance, the spirit and the drive and the heart of it, like having a heart at like David a man after God's own heart. Having a heart after God is just paramount. It's so important. So, so important. Okay, I'll quickly skim through some of these uh, this chat here, and then we'll get into Isaiah chapter 54. Um, so, yeah. You know, let me just say this before I get too far, because, you know, I'm just, again, I'm just kind of talking off the top of my head. It's kind of off the cuff, kind of. For years, I, one of the uncomfortable questions that people would, would ask me as an evangelist, like I'm I'm speaking like as a Protestant evangelist. I'm talking about in the past. One of the one of the most uncomfortable questions that people would ask me is like, "Well, what about you know people in you know countries that never they never heard of Jesus? They, maybe it's illegal. You know, maybe you know you got people born and di you know died in North Korea or wherever. I mean, uh, children, babies, or whatever people who've never heard." Are you telling me that God will condemn them to hell? That was always an uncomfortable question for me to answer. And I've always answered it by saying, well, yeah, because they must be born again. 
But now I wouldn't say that. Now I would say if they if they are as a children as a child a baby, you know, of course none of the none of the Torah really applies to them, so they're perfect in God's eyes anyway. So they're I mean they're I mean they're sinless. And then people who don't know, I mean, what what can we expect, right? And what can, and just knowing God's heart too, as well. Like God's heart is, He expects you to do what you can do, given the information that you have, and given given the talents that you have, and all that, uh, given the circumstances you're out, you're in as well. Um, and He doesn't expect any more than that. So. Yeah, I think that some people, I think that there'd be some good people uh, living in, or whether it's in North America or in North Korea, okay? Uh, either way, um, I think that there would be good people who probably probably have never heard or don't know a thing about God, don't know a thing about Jesus, but they're but they're good in the sense of, you know what I mean? I'm, and you say there's no one good but God alone. Okay, I get that, but you know what I mean? Like, they're, they're not... They're as good as a little child. They're innocent. They don't know. There are a lot of good people like that. Here again, good, quote unquote, good people like that. Um, you know, selfless, selfless, they sacrifice for other people, they're very, very good, like kind and giving and that kind of thing. They basically obey the Torah without them even knowing they're obeying the Torah. Like they obey Torah. They're, they're like 100%, it can, like right in line with Torah, like perfectly in line with Torah, even though they have no clue that they are. So is God going to charge them with sin? I don't think so. If indeed they have no sin, if you know what I mean. So it's a deep concept. It's a deep, it's a deep uh, conversation to get into, but those are my thoughts on that. To Yabi the Glory asked the question, there is such, or uh, actually it's more of a statement, there is such a thing as having sin, but not having it imputed against you. I think that's all of us as children having a sin nature. You see, I, I, the whole idea of sin nature comes from the the doctrine of original sin. Um, and so the doctrine of original sin is I do not believe is 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 a true doctrine at all. It started with uh, Saint Augustine and um, his contemporary, like Saint Saint John of uh, Saint Saint John Chrysostom, uh, you know, was was totally against that that doctrine. Uh, so Saint Augustine was a Roman Catholic, and the Saint John um, Chrysostom was like Orthodox. So Chrysostom was completely against that idea of original sin, whereas Augustine was all all for like that the, the doctrine of original sin. Actually, he made it basically. He created that doctrine. Uh, apart from perhaps Paul, again, but you know, like there are like most heresies are founded upon Paul's writings anyway. Um, but Saint Augustine, from what I've heard, I, I if you read 
St. Augustine's writings. Some of the things that he... Uh, talk about being born again. I, I think maybe he needs to be born again. Um... I mean, I'm just saying from, you know, from the information that I have, um, not St. Augustine uh, mixed the letters of Paul with like his background of being a like, Manichaean. Okay. And mixed this doctrine. It's like, it, it's, it's a mixture. The, the doctrine of original sin is like a, it's like a, it's like a hybrid between pagan doctrine and Paul's doctrine. And it's, I, I do not believe that there is such a thing as original sin being passed down from generation to generation. See, this is, yeah, like having a sin nature, but not punished for it. See, this is very, very, very Gnostic. Like that's like Gnostic, almost like, 100% Gnostic. It's like Gnostic idea, like, well, you know, the flesh is bad and the spirit is good. But again, where do you get that apart from Paul? Where do you get that apart from Paul um, and the, and St. Augustine? So, Real Truth says, Shalom, Shalom, the Real Truth. Good to see you. Welcome. Uh, Mark says, Shalom, Shalom, Mark. Good to see you, brother. Welcome. Jordan says shalom all shalom Jordan good to see you brother the real truth says my parents were the most the most loving kind people never smoked drank cussed etc uh, they loved quote unquote loved Jesus and God church every Sunday and Wednesday evening yet they rejected Sabbath and refused to discuss the Bible with me. Yahweh will be the judge, but as pious and loving as they were, the word or says they will burn. I I don't know what to say about that. They're real, the real truth. I don't really I don't know them, so I can't really comment either way. Um, Ace is the name, says, hello, hello, Ace, welcome. Jordan says, I'll be off social media for a while. It's been draining. Won't say much, but there's a group that is becoming cultish. I fellowshiped with many before. They're fellow lovers of Yeshua and Torah. Hmm. Yeah, I hear you, Jordan. Oh, I, I okay. Jordan says, uh, rebuke seems to be their favorite word. Spending all day practically rebuking the apostate sun god day church, yet they can't take rebuke themselves and disagreements aren't handled well. Yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's unfortunate, very unfortunate. Ace is the name, says, can someone answer a few questions I have, judging by the fact that, that everyone is here? I'm assuming everyone feels that observing all the laws of the Torah are needed. Does that include the feasts, 
slash rituals. Okay, to look at this, to understand it in, in the most, the easiest way to understand the Torah is to look at it as if it's like the law of the land, so to speak, okay? So, not sure where you're from, Ace, but just an example. They say that in, in America, um, in America alone, they say that there are so many laws, they can't count them all. Uh, it's in the millions. Uh, some lawyers uh, estimate that it's over 4 million laws. So 4 million laws. So um, when someone, let's say someone comes to America to, uh, to live there, and, you know, to, uh, to be an American, you know, to gain citizenship, do they have to obey all 4 million laws to be a citizen? To be a good law-abiding citizen, do they have to obey all four plus million laws? Whatever it is, four and a half million, whatever it is. And so, of course, the answer is no, because many of these laws don't apply. Most of those laws do not apply. If you're driving a car, you don't have to obey the laws of, of a truck driver. Uh, if you're driving a truck, you don't have to obey the laws that apply to uh, airplane pilots. You know, if you're walking down the street, you know, you, you basically it's not that difficult for the most part to obey the laws of America. I would say like for, I mean, generally speaking, it's not that difficult and there's over 4 million of them. And there's, a, you know, there's this thing going around saying, well, there's 600 and some odd laws of the Torah and you have to obey them all. Nonsense. Just like four plus million American laws, you don't have to obey them all because they don't they don't all apply to you. So, just like when you become an American, or if you go to another country and, and be a citizen of that country, you're expected to learn the ba like you're expecting you're you're expected to know the basics at, at first, and then as you as time goes by, you're expected to learn more about what is expected of you. You know, um, and that's the way it is with with God as well. I mean, there are some very basic laws to start out with. I mean, we have we have a few in Acts chapter fifteen that they talk about. You know, sexual immorality and um, idolatry and uh, a little bit of the kosher laws here. You know, um, not a whole lot to begin with. Uh, but as you as you go on in as you, you know, as time passes, you are expected to learn more and more about what is expected of you. What is, uh, you know, what applies to you? And to make a long story short, uh, whether there are six hundred laws or or sixty laws, uh, there's not a whole lot of laws that really apply. Um, feasts, yeah. We're, I mean, we're we're uh, we're commanded to obey the feasts. Um, rituals, I'm not sure what you mean by rituals, but um, the idea is whatever you can do, you are to do. Uh, Jews today are people who are, um, you know, their whole thing is the Torah, but they do not, um, they do not, you know, perform sacrifices, for example, because they don't have a temple to do the sacrifices in. Um, and, and they know that according to the Torah, 
you can it's forbidden to perform any kind of sacrifices away from the from the uh you know the designated spot you know the place the lord chooses so you, you can't just do it anywhere at any time and you have to have everything in place you have to have the right people with the right instruments at you know at the right time at the right place everything has to be in you know in according to the law in order for it to to apply so that's the reason why they don't do any uh, sacrifices first of all they don't have a temple really um i mean and then they have to get themselves some bona fide levites okay uh, and, uh, and and all this kind of stuff they have to do a lot of stuff before that is uh, is to be uh, fulfilled so um a very short answer, a very simple answer is just, you know, uh, start with the laws of Acts 15. Start with maybe the Ten Commandments is another good one. And go from there. And the more you learn, the more, um, you know, too much is given, much is required. The more you learn, the more you're expected to put that into practice. So, yeah. And, you know, it, it is not hard at all. It is very, very easy. It's very, very easy to obey God. It really is. It's really easy. Thank you for asking, Ace. Fearfully Confident says, it seems to be today's Christian doctrine is illogical. Real Christianity seems closer to Judaism. Well, yeah, it, I'm into that, Fearfully Confident. You know, um, real Christianity, and just to define, I, I know... I know I think we're on the right page, we're on the same page here, but for other people who, what do you mean by real Christianity? Um, real Christianity being, being, um, book of Acts Christianity, book of Acts, kind of, you know, the same kind of quote unquote Christianity that, uh, Peter, James, you know, obey, uh, observed, if you want to call, put it that way, um, the original 12. So, yeah, I mean, you know what? Nobody in the book of Acts had to repent of Judaism in order to be a Christian. Nobody. You never hear them preaching, oh, hey, you, you Pharisees, you need to repent of your Judaism. Come here, you know, and, uh, you know, denounce your Judaism right now. Just you know, renounce it right now because you cannot be saved if you're if you're if you're part of if you're a you know you're in the uh, the religion of Judaism. You have to come on our side. You have to be a Christian in order to be saved. Not at all. They're all they were all together. Actually, in the book of Acts, it says that they they met in the synagogues and in the temple daily, and, and from house to house. So, um, I mean, they didn't build a church. They didn't put up, you know, you know, hey, well, let's uh, go. Here's the church and here's the steeple. Open the door and see all the people. What are you going to call that? Well, we'll call it the, the Book of Acts Baptist Church. No. It, they met in the synagogue. You know, their quote unquote church meetings were in a synagogue. You look in Acts chapter 15, right? When uh, Paul and Barnabas, they didn't know what to do with uh, what. They had to escalate the matter. Uh, what are we going to do with these Gentiles? Here is Paul, the so-called, you know, um, expert with what, the, the the apostle to the Gentiles, the expert for the Gentiles. He had to escalate it to, I mean, if he was so much, so much of an expert, 
why did he have to escalate the matter to, to Peter and James? Peter and James, especially James, was his superiors. Like he had to take it to James. Oh, take it to the boss, man. Take it to James. Um, and the Pharisees were there too. They were there too. You read it, right? In, in, in Acts chapter 15. They were all part of the, they were all there. They're all present. So um, I think it's very important to understand that the real true quote unquote biblical Christianity was nothing different than Judaism. The only if there if there was a difference, the only difference would be, well, we believe that Yeshua was a Messiah. These people don't, but we're still part of the same religion. That's it. You went to the temple daily, it says. So I always say, you know, they don't go to the temple for a cup of coffee to hang out. Right? It wasn't they went to the temple. There's only one there's only one thing you do at the temple. And it wasn't, you know. You know, uh, like going to Starbucks or something. It wasn't for hanging out. It was to perform the, as the uh, our um, friend here Ace asked earlier, was to perform the quote unquote rituals. But that's what they were doing. I mean, obviously, you don't go to the temple without. Hey, let's go to the temple and hang out. No, the temple was a place of to do what you had to do. So, yeah, definitely. William says, can you explain your pers my perspective on righteous by faith versus righteousness by the law? Okay, so the only person that draws a, differ a differentiation between the two is Paul. Okay, righteous by faith, if you look at it, and, and again, you know, I'm not going to give you my perspective. I'm going to give you facts that you can look up yourself, okay? This is not my opinion. Romans chapter 10, when Paul talks about righteousness by faith, when he talks about, um, well, you know what, let me just pull it up. I'll pull it up. Yeah, let's do this. Just a little side note here. Um, what I'm going to show you is that, just give, me a, just give me a moment here, I'll pull it up. What I'm going to show you is that Paul got his righteousness by faith doctrine from the law. Okay? And again, this, you know, this is this is the reason why Paul should, first of all, there should not be a canon. It's, it's you know, again, the Bible canon, the New Testament canon, the Old Testament canon is not of God. Okay? Paul should be put where he, in his rightful place, in with, with one of the, uh, church fathers, okay, because a lot of the stuff he says is is very confusing at the at the best and wrong at the most at the worst. I mean, I should say confusing at best and wrong at worst. So um, Paul says, for Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does the those things shall live by them. But righteousness of faith speaks in this way: Do not say in your heart, "Who will ascend into heaven?" That is to bring. Well, what what is what is uh, Paul quoting here? He, he puts a quote here. What's this quote? This is from the law. You want to know exactly where it's from? I'll show you. Um, actually, you know what? Let me just... 
So let me just read this and then I'll go over there and I'll show you. Okay. I'll read this first. Paul in his confusing circle, circle doctrine here, he goes on saying, well, first of all, there's the thing called righteousness, which is of the law. Then there's called, then there's a the thing called righteousness of faith. Okay. Again, but he says, so the righteousness of the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Quote, he's quoting the scriptures now. Okay. Deuteronomy chapter 30, to be exact. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, quote, in brackets, that is to bring Christ down from above, or, quote, who will ascend into the abyss, that is to say, uh, that is to, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. Okay. So this is the righteousness of faith, according to Paul. Okay. What's the righteous? Where does he get the righteousness of faith? It's from the law. See, this is the problem where Christians are clueless. What they should do is they need to go in and look at the law first. They need to study the law first. Then they have a foundation to build on, right? For, the, for this commandment that I give you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend up to heaven to get it for us and bring it down to us that we may hear it and do it? Nor is it beyond, uh, beyond the sea that, who's, uh, that you shall say, who will go over the sea for us to bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near, near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. So this is what Paul quotes to, to, to what he's doing. What Paul's doing here is he's quoting the law, making it look like it's not the law. I wish Christianity would just clean up and smarten up and wake up because they, a lot of people think, well, first of all, there's a righteousness by, by faith. And then there's a righteousness by the law. Uh <laughs> Okay, truth of the matter is, they're both the same. The righteousness of the law, the righteousness that we read of in the law, in Deuteronomy, is the righteousness of faith. And the righteousness of faith that Paul says is of faith, he gets it from the Torah. That's Torah he's, he's preaching there. So people need to wake up and understand how confusing and, and how confused, I believe, Paul to be. He is very confusing, and I think he's confused in many ways. I mean, there's so many things that he says. I mean, in, in Romans chapter 2, it's not the hearers of the law, but the doers of it that's justified. Then he goes on in Romans chapter 3 and Romans chapter 4 to, to, to say, oh, it's not the doers of the law that's justified. It's like, he, what you just said it is, now you're saying it's not? If I preached or if I wrote like Paul did, Man, oh man, people would attack me like crazy. People would call me a lunatic. Paul says, I'm in, in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle. I'm the least of all the apostles. And then he goes on, and then he says, I am not even, I'm not, I'm not inferior. I'm not inferior to the super apostles. Like, I'm the best. I thought you said you're the least. Then you said you're the best now? You're not inferior to the super apostles? Hmm. Isn't that strange, Paul? Galatians chapter 3. Paul goes on to say, well, you know, uh, God said to Abraham, to your seed, the, the, the promise is made. Not to, Paul says, God didn't say to seeds, but to seed. So he's talking about one person instead of many. But it's like, this is why people, this is why people who have a clue look at that and go, what in the world's wrong with Paul? Because in 
in the law, in the Torah, in Genesis, where it talks about Abraham, God makes it very clear the word seed, not seeds, but seed is talking about many people as much as the stars of the sky and the sand of the sea. So the word seed in the Hebrew, Zerah, is talking about many descendants, perhaps even millions or billions of descendants. Well, why doesn't Paul know that? That's why a lot of people say, well, Paul doesn't even know Hebrew. He's from, he's from Tarsus, Saul of Tarsus. He doesn't even know Hebrew. That's why he doesn't know anything. That's why he doesn't know what the difference between Zerah and Zeraim and why Zeraim, seeds, is never used with descendants. Only Zerah, seed, is. Seed means one or can mean millions or billions, just like sheep. Well, my neighbor said he had 400 sheep. He didn't say sheeps. Therefore, it must only be one. It's like people who, anybody who said, any, if anybody ever said that, they'd be like, Where'd you, where did you learn English? Do you not know? Do you not understand English? Where, compete? No capiche, okay? And this is why we, the Jewish people and people who know Hebrew look, read, read Galatians chapter three and go, yeah, okay, Paul, whatever. Like, that makes absolutely no sense uh, to anyone who has any clue, okay? People, a lot of Christians have no clue. So to them, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, seed. That means one. God didn't say seed, so that means he's talking to one. So it's like Christians have no clue, no clue. And then the very same chapter, Paul's talking to the church in Galatia, okay? He's talking to many people. And what did he say to the many people? He said, you are the seed of Abraham. Wait a second, Paul. I thought you just said, I thought you just said a few verses ago that seed means one, but seeds are many. But you're talking to many and you call us many as seed, not seeds. So he's, it is a confusing mess. In the book of Acts, none of the original 12 disciples ever used Paul's letters to preach the gospel. They used the Tanakh to preach the gospel. That was considered to be scripture. There was no, there was no New Testament back in those days. And no wonder when Paul came and escalated the matter to Peter and James in Acts chapter 15, no wonder they didn't ask him for any input on it. But you see, most Christians today, they're like, well, Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. Okay, where do you get that from? <laughs> I mean, Jesus made all 12 apostles to, to the Gentiles, especially Peter. And Peter makes that very clear in Acts chapter 15, verse 7. Peter says, God, you all know, Peter said, that God chose me, that by my mouth, the Gentiles hear the gospel. I'm, I'm the, I'm, basically, I'm the apostle to the Gentiles here. And by the way, Paul was standing right there when he said that. And what did Paul say? Nothing. Because he can't. Because Peter has, is way, way more authoritative than Paul. Paul is full of seemingly contradictory accounts. Always just full of it, okay? And this whole thing about righteousness by faith. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. Uh, you know, like. What I would encourage every Christian to do, 
Most Christians say, yeah, you know what? The New Testament is based upon the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the foundation of the New Testament. But they say that. I've heard many Christians say that. But yet, they don't practice that because they know more of the New Testament than they know of the Old Testament. They know more of Paul's letters than they know of the Torah. They have studied and read Paul's letters more than they have studied and read the Torah. Therefore, their, their, their house of cards is falling. Keep calm. Pollyannity is crumbling. Keep calm. Pollyannity is crumbling. Crumbling in the face of, of true biblical knowledge. Crumbling in the face of true scripture. Crumbling in the face of knowledge. Crumbling in the face of truth. Crumbling in the face of those who dare to say, hey, Maybe I have been duped. Maybe I've believed that pastor, or I've believed that evangelist, or I've believed so-and-so who wrote this book and this, this, this Christian author, and I've believed all of this nonsense all along. Maybe I should be like the Bereans of Acts chapter 17, and maybe I should actually take, ev take what Paul says, take piece by piece by piece by piece, and test it with the scripture. What scripture? Tanakh. They didn't have New Testament back in those days. They had Tanakh. Oh, how dare you test Paul? He's scripture. Says who? Certainly God didn't say that. By the way, those Bereans who tested everything that Paul said with the Tanakh, God did not have any problem with it whatsoever. In fact, they are praised for it. They are honored for it. They, it's, they were called honorable men. It says in the book of Acts that they're noble men. It doesn't say, oh, they're horrible men. Oh, they're fools that do this kind of thing. They should know Paul, everything. Paul's perfect. He's an angel from heaven. Actually, he's God incarnate. Everything he says is 100% is, is, is true. You know, so... Um, I really think that um, it's very, very important for Christians to uh, to really look at the Bible for what it really is. To really look at the Bible for what it really is. It's a man-made compilation of various books of the law, the prophets, and the scriptures, and the writings of men. That's exactly what it is. So that's it there, William. The, the righteousness of faith is the righteousness of the law. You know, it's like people say, well, that's the Old Testament. That's not New Testament. Work, Old Testament's works. The New Testament is faith. Really? The just shall live by faith. The whole thing that the Protestant Christianity is based upon is the Old Testament. The just shall live by faith is Old Testament. The whole concept of faith is Old Testament. And Paul quotes the so-called Old Testament, and quotes the so-called Torah to, to support his doctrine of faith. Great Deception says, sin is transgression of the law. Yes, absolutely. Amen to that. Now again, um, for those of you who are new here, especially over there on YouTube, if, uh, if you have a question specifically for me, I may not see it because there's so much activity going on in the chat right now. If you if you have a question specifically for me, just put at Christopher in the live chat. 
And my apologies in advance if I do miss a question that you want me to answer. The real truth says, I do agree, the doctrine of original sin is false. The curse we are born with is we all die and go to the grave. There is no transgression until you do what you know is wrong. Um, okay, so th this, this is a very interesting concept. Very interesting, especially, I understand, you know, uh, what you're saying there, real truth. And but the, the, one, the thing I want to zone in on here just for a moment is the idea that we all die, so that's a curse. I have spent a lot of time, a lot of time meditating on this, pouring over the scriptures on it, looking at it. Now, I'm not going to get into all the details right now. I mean, if anybody's interested in this, you can go back and, and see some of my older videos talking about this kind of thing. I believe that there's a good... It's a good possibility. Let me just say this. I'm not going to say I'm 100% certain. I'm just going to say spending a lot of time meditating on the, the whole thing. I uh, Let me just put it this way. I'm trying to word this properly because I don't want anybody to put words in my mouth that I don't say. I think that it is more... It's more... <sighs> First, uh, it's highly likely that there was physical, biological death before the fall. And I know people go, huh, what do you mean by that? Let me explain. There's a couple reasons there. Number one is, you know, Yeshua made this very clear. Death is not, was not death, according to God. Abraham died. Jacob died. You know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob died, but Jesus made it very clear. No, they haven't died. They are alive. God is the God of the living. God, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is the God of the living, not of the dead. You read the shepherd of Hermas. Hermas makes this very clear, too. He, he goes on and on about so much about it. You know, if you do this, you will live to God. If you do that, you will die to God. If you do this, you will live to God. If you do that, you will die to God. So this whole thing, it's like life and death to God is not life and death to man. You can live biologically. You can go to the, your doctor and be, you know, have a clean bill of health. You have all your vital signs working perfectly and still be the walking dead in God's, eye, in God's eyes. And I'm going to quote Paul here. I know, I know, I know. But I'm going to quote Paul. And I'm going to say, you know, even Paul says that, you know, uh, you were dead in your trans transgressions and your sins. What do you mean I was dead? I never, my heart never stopped beating. No, it didn't. You were physically, biologically alive, but you were actually dead. Like um, Yeshua said in the uh, parable of the uh, prodigal son, right? My son was dead. Now he's alive. What do you mean he was dead? Well, he was dead to God. He wasn't biologically dead. He, wa he was still fine health-wise. But, you know, he, he had all of his vital signs, but he was still, but he was dead. According to God, God saw him as dead. So, I do not, I would not go so far as to say that physical death is a curse. I wouldn't, you know, we're going to talk about this. 
We're, you know, we're actually going to talk, we're actually going to read this uh, in Isaiah. I'm going to get to it. I'm going to get to it in just a little bit. We'll read this. Um, it's an amazing concept. I do not believe, I believe that the Garden of Eden, okay, let me just say this. Let me just say it. If the Garden of Eden, I'll put a big if there, because we have many different beliefs. Some, think, some people believe the Garden of Eden was in paradise, and some people believe. But if the Garden of Eden was on earth, then it must have included death before the fall. Because it is absolutely, it's the way, it's the nature of the earth. It's the nature, it's the way everything is made. Uh, plants, plants thrive on dead organic material. There had to have been something dead to begin with in order for it to live. You have to have death. You have to have death, no matter what. Some people, I think it was uh, Onia that, that said that plants have souls too. I, I'm not saying they do. I'm not saying they do. I'm not saying they don't. I'm just saying some people say plants have souls. I mean, they have biological life. They have all scientifically proven life, okay? Every cell of the plant, the leaf, the stem, the roots, every cell of it is alive. There's life there. That plant has to draw its life from dead material. Not only that, but if, if Adam picked a, a tomato from his garden, before he fell and ate that tomato, he would be killing something. There would be, I don't know how many millions or billions of cells that would, would have been put to death by that action. And not only that, but killing the, the life of the seeds of that plant as well, as he would be eating those seeds. In fact, I even, I believe, and I know this is controversial, I get it, I know, I, I get it. But I believe that Adam and Eve ate Plants and animals before the fall. And I believe that because the Torah is eternal. There's a lot of things that, that, that Genesis does not tell us. A lot of things that Genesis do, does not tell us. That's very clear. But I believe that Adam and Eve ate plants and animals before the fall. Can you imagine a bug that, that didn't eat a plant? Can you imagine a beetle? Japanese beetle or whatever it is, that didn't eat plants. What did they eat? They had to kill something. Um, so I do not believe, I think, well, let me, I think there's a, it's a, there's a good chance that the death that was the curse was not physical death, but rather spiritual death as defined in the prodigal son story, and as defined, even as Paul said, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Yeah, I know you're living. Yeah, I know you have your, you know, you're breathing, your heart's beating, you're, you're healthy and everything, but you're dead. You're dead. There's death. You are dead. Just like the, the prodigal son. Dead. You need to come to life. You need to be brought to life. You need, you need life. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Yeah. They died, biologically speaking, but they never did, spiritually speaking. So 
God, God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the God of the living, not the dead. So they're not dead, according to God, as Shepherd of Hermas says. That live to God, dead to God doesn't mean anything. It has nothing to do with physical manifestations, but rather the, in, the, in the spiritual realm. And I know that's a deep topic, the real, the real truth, but I'm just kind of sharing, you know, heart. Sorry about that. I'm just kind of sharing heart to heart with you on my meditations, my thoughts, my studies on this topic. Awesome. Thank you, uh, Real Truth. See what else we got here. Okay. Fearfully confident. How has going from being a Sunday-keeping Christian to a Sabbath-observing believer changed you? I've never viewed myself as a Sunday-keeping Christian. And, you know, I don't think that the way, the way I see it is that it's not that that changed me. It's that I changed and I started do, I started, I changed and I started observing the Sabbath. Actually, when I first got saved, if you want to put it that way, using, using Christian evangelical terminology, when I first got saved back in 1992, I believe I was, if my memory serves me correctly, I was actually keeping Sabbath. But of course, as soon as you get involved with the, you know, the church, uh, that, that quickly falls away. Um, so to me, it's like the change came first and then came the observing, the Sabbath observing, just, just studying it. And again, I believe that I, you know, you know, the truth we talked about being born again earlier. Like, you know, I think that if someone's really born in the spirit in the way that we defined it earlier, um, I think they know the truth, but a lot of times I believe the devil uses the church to drown the truth out. So on the other hand, I will, I will say this, obeying the Torah as, as we are, as we describe, as, as, as we talk about opens up another, a whole door into another world of of obedience of things get much more meaningful the the word of god is much deeper than originally thought relationship with god is much stronger when you are observing the commandments your relationship is much stronger your relationship is much more meaningful with the relationship with God is much more meaningful. I don't know how else to describe it. Fearfully confident. Yeah. So uh, very good question. Fearfully confident. Um, thank you for asking. Tammy says, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is a fire igniting. Truth is amazing. Thank you, Tammy. Thank you. Awesome. 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 God is amazing. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's not the difference Paul is talking about righteousness by faith, righteousness by the law and faith. The difference between Jesus and the Pharisees, how they, Jesus' standards are to the heart of what the law is after. 
that we should see to the heart of the law of adultery is lust. Uh, we need a heart change, not overcome or to overcome our lust. The Pharisees were merely committing adultery with hearts full of lust, but Jesus pointed to the fact that they did not love God, but they tried to follow the rules for blessing. Um, so now here again, I'm not going to make a right now. I'm not going to make a, a, a claim to truth or statement of truth here, but I just, just to kind of put this on the table. Cause I mean, it's, I think it's important to understand this. A lot of people believe that Jesus was a Pharisee himself uh, for many reasons, because, you know, the idea is that back in that culture, only Pharisees hung out with Pharisees, only, only Pharisees spoke with Pharisees. Um, and I mean, he went to a Pharisee's home. I mean, they're not going to invite just anybody else. Uh, and that's the idea that Pharisees don't just Pharisee, Pharisees and Sadducees and, and other sects like that. They're very, like very much in each other's throats and they're not going to be inviting, you know, Pharisees not going to be inviting a Sadducee over to, 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 to eat with them or anything like that. Um, but he did now again, I'm not, I'm not saying one way or another. I'm just, I'm just saying this. Um, when Jesus spoke about the heart issues, that's, that wasn't not, that was nothing new from what I understand that that was something that was in Judaism Right, set right from the very beginning. It's just that Jesus was just more or less bringing that out again. Bring, like, don't you guys? You guys should understand the law by now. That the law that thou shalt not commit adultery, of course, is talking about in every which area of your life, not just on the outside appearance, right? So, I mean, uh, it, even today in Judaism, you know, the, these kind of things would be considered um, that you can break Torah like that within your heart. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, some people believe that Jesus, you know, he made the law deeper. No, he didn't. He just, he preached what a lot of rabbis would have already been preaching for years before he even came. It wasn't anything new. He never said anything new uh, in, in that regard. I mean, in regards to preaching the law and, and, and trying to wake these people up. Now, Pharisees also, um, they were also considered to be very sinful people. And I know that's against what a lot of Christians say. Well, Pharisees are the most holy people. And I've, I, I even hear, uh, heard someone say, well, Pharisees were like, they were, they were Torah observant to the uttermost. I mean, you could not be any closer. They observed Torah. They obeyed the law of God more, just as much as anybody could humanly do it, you know, to the, to the, uh, as much as humanly possible. And that is not true at all either. Um, Yeshua, Jesus made it very clear that the Pharisees were very wicked people. I mean, they took advantage of the widows. They, they um, lorded it over people. I mean, they mistreated people. Uh, it, there's a whole... You can probably make a list of a good 50 different things that they did. They didn't really care about the law that much. They they wanted to look like they were good people, like anybody else. I mean, they want they they put this facade on. They had this. They put on a front, but they certainly were far from good. Like they were really bad people. Like my neighbor's dog would be better than them, you know. In in regards to uh, Torah observance, I mean, in the way that Jesus made it, you know, um, revealed uh, the Pharisees' actions. No wonder he said. You know, unless your righteousness exceeds the Pharisees, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Yeah, really. It's like, 
doesn't take much to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. Okay, you, you don't, you know, you don't, uh, you know, uh, you know, steal from old ladies and rip people off, and you know, and, and abuse children and abuse people. You, you don't do that. You're far ahead of the Pharisees as you are. I mean, you know, like I said, there's actually almost everybody, maybe everybody that I've ever, everybody that I know. I could say probably their righteousness has exceeded that of the Pharisees. So the Pharisees did not follow the rules for blessing. Okay. That is not wh whoever would come up with that. That's just fantasy. Okay. They did not even follow the rules. And when they did, which was very rare, the way Jesus talks. Um, when they did, it was only just for a show. It wasn't for blessing. It was just to, just for people to be, yeah, here, look at me, right? right, That kind of thing. But no, they did not follow the rules for blessing. Because if they did follow the rules, they would get blessed, and Jesus wouldn't, wouldn't be um, confronting them about their breaking the rules. It's actually pretty simple. It takes, it takes a modern... Uh, it takes a modern Christian to confuse it. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, it's actually very simple. I still believe if you give if you give a copy of the scriptures to somebody who does not know anything about God, has no preconceived pre preconceptions about the Bible or any kind of scriptures at all, does not know anything about Jesus, and you give the scriptures to them as they originally were. I'm not talking about all one book, okay? I'm talking about first, you know, give them the 24 scrolls, give them the, uh, you know, the uh, four biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and give them the letters of Paul in letter form, you know, written with an envelope to Timothy, to the believers in Corinth, to the believers in Galatia. You know, give that in its original pure, true form to a person who has no clue about anything, no biased, no bias at all, uh, no preconceived ideas, these people would be light years ahead of, of, of Christians if they just read it and look at it for what they really are. Look at it for what they really are. A lot of Christians, what they do is they start out with the verdict and then they build a trial around the verdict. Instead of coming to the trial and then seeing what the verdict will be, if you know what I mean. Like, for example, just this is just one example. Paul, okay? They already come to the table with a verdict. Yeah, Paul is 100% right. He's 100%, he's 100 word of God. Everything he said is 100% true. Well, how do you know? Uh, uh, well, he said it. <laughs> well, really, he didn't, but. How do you know? Oh, my, it's in, he's in the Bible. Well, so what? I mean, so who compiled the Bible? Well, God did. Well, how do you know? Uh, well, um, well, well, it, because it's the Bible. Um, well, how do you know that God actually orchestrated that these particular books are to be put together in one book and called the Holy Bible? Uh, because, because God would do that. Like, really? Okay. Let's let's talk truth here now. Let's 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 get into historical fact. Okay, it was man who put the Bible together. Um, that's what Christians do. They start out with a verdict. They start out with they come to the table with bias, heav heavily biased. Okay, and then they build their 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 trial around it. 
They come with a verdict and then they build a trial around it. They, they do it backwards. They put the cart before the horse. I guess most people won't understand that in these days, but you know, um, they get it backwards. They shoot the arrow first, then they draw the target afterwards. They shoot the arrow first, then they draw the, tar the target afterwards. They come to the table saying, hey, the Bible canon is of God. And then they try to prove it afterwards. Uh, first of all, we should come to the table saying, is it? Is it? And I'm willing to go either way. I'm not drawn to say yes. I'm not drawn to say no. I want to know the truth. Show me the facts. Is Paul true or not? Is everything he say of God or, or is it not? I want to know the truth. I don't come with a bias. I'm not looking for, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm coming and just look at him, look at him as if, you know, just like the Bereans looked at him in Acts chapter 17. Like, hey man, you're just, you're just another one of, you're just another man uh, on the street. So uh, what do you have to say? And we'll look into it. You know, so um, that's the idea. I mean, we, we need to come, we the thing is here, we want to be as objective as possible, as truthful as possible. We don't want to support a doctrine that only can be supported by lies. I'll say that again because I think a lot of people didn't get it. We don't want to support a doctrine that can only be supported by lies. Yeah, you see, I, I mean, there are different people with different ideas of being born again. To me, it's like, it's not something that you see in as much as you see repentance and obedience. But I mean, we talked about we talked about a lot of this earlier. But yeah, thank you, Will, for sharing. Going nowhere. What do you think Jesus looked like? We have accounts, a couple of different accounts of what Jesus looked like, um, and they're pretty similar. He had long, longer hair, uh, blue blue eyes, or like. Uh, one, one account says blue, another account says gray. It was light eyes anyway, it wasn't, wasn't brown eyes, but, um, and he was, he looked just like any other Jew would look. That would be, uh, he appeared to be a Nazarite. I'm not talking about just a Nazarene. Excuse me, I'm not talking about just a Nazarene, I'm talking about Nazarite. I mean, under the vow. I mean, because, Apparently, you know, it wasn't really common for for men to have long hair in those days unless they were Nazarites. And the idea that he didn't really, he refused the fruit of the vine and the Last Supper, he refused that. That could be because of the Nazarite vow as well. So, yes, I believe he was, he looked just like any other Jew in those days, except for the Nazarite, Nazaritish, actually, one of those accounts actually says that his his hair was parted in the center like in Nazareth. I think that that's what they said too. So yeah. Thank you for asking. Yeah, Real Truth says, uh, yes, I agree for us to die as gain, but uh, because we are out of this evil world, Adam could have eaten from the tree of life, but was blocked from this life because of his transgression yes I, I do understand that typical the typical interpretation of that is the tree of life is the tree of biological life again i would like to entertain the thought that maybe it's not 
Maybe it's the tree of spiritual life as live to God kind of thing, where it's, you can still be eating from the tree of life and pass on like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and still be alive. Um, yeah, just that's, that's the thoughts that are going through my, my mind. Yeah. Real truth says, um, yes, I agree with that. Um, it was a spiritual death. The law of sin and death is the second death or spiritual death. Big talk, big topic for chat. Yes, it is very big topic for chat. Thank you. Real truth. Matthew. Um, sorry. Yeah. I know you asked this question before. Sorry. Maybe we just must've got sidetracked there the other night. What do you think about the Calvinist doctrine of tulip? Uh, so I'm not a, a Calvinist because I don't, I don't agree to tulip. Uh, and I'm not an Armenian either because I think that I, I think that both Calvinists, the Calvinist doctrine and the Armenian doctrine both have truth and they both have falsehood in it. So I don't, I don't adopt either one. I know Calvinists, some of these hardcore Calvinists is like, you know, every, everything's predestined. So basically, you know, and it's so apathetic. I don't believe, I believe in free will, but li limited free will, limited free will. I believe that God can change the circumstances in your life and even change your heart like how he did with Pharaoh and other people. Um, if he wants to uh, change your heart through changing the circumstances, whatever the case is, uh, I believe he did so with Esau as well, even though it's not explicitly spelt out for us in the, in the scriptures. I do believe that he did that with Esau via the circumstances that he was in. He changed his heart. He, he put him in that circumstance. He could have, uh, he could have uh, saved him from selling his birthright and, and all these other misfortunes that befell Esau. But Hey, God didn't really, God just, he, he really didn't just love Esau. Uh, you know, as the scripture says, uh, I love Jacob and hate Esau. So, um, he can, you know, but I do believe that there are, there is free will, but limited free will. Uh, again, another huge topic for, for chat for sure. Uh, but yes, cat cool. I hope that gives you a little bit of an insight into where I am with that. Calvinism has some good points, some not so good points, and same with Armenianism. Thanks for asking, Cat Cool. Okay, so let's get into Isaiah chapter 54. Isaiah chapter 54. Verse 1, Sing, O barren, you who have not born, break forth into singing and cry aloud. You who have not labored with child, for more are the children of the, of the desolate than the children of a married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your, place of your tent and let, let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen, the, lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you shall expand, expand to the right and to the left, and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. Do not fear. For you will not be ashamed, neither be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame. For you will forget the shame of your youth and will not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. Uh, 
For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. For the Lord has called you like a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, like a youth, a youthful wife when you were refused, uh, says your God. For a mere moment I have forsaken you, but with great mercies I will gather you. With a little wrath I hid my face from you in a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have mercy on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. For this is like the waters of Noah to me, for I have, for as I have sworn that the waters of Noah uh, would no longer cover the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be angry with you nor rebuke you. For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has mercy on you. O you afflicted one, tossed with tempest and not comforted, behold, I will lay your stones with, with colorful gems and lay your foundations with sapphires. I will make your pinnacles of rubies, your gates, and all your walls of precious stones. All your children shall be taught by the Lord. That's a good one. All your children shall be taught by the Lord. And great shall be the peace of your children. In righteousness you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression, for, for you shall not fear. And from terror, for it shall not come near you. Indeed. They shall surely assemble, but not because of me. Whoever assembles against you shall fall for your sake. Behold, I have created the blacksmith who blows the coals in the fire, who brings forth an instrument for his work, and I have created the spoiler to destroy. No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue, shall, every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. Isaiah chapter 55. Ho. Ho means listen. Okay, so you know. Listen, in other words, listen. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and a, command, a commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation who you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, who has, or he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. By the way, please understand the Lord may not be found at all times, okay? Seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. In other words, there might be a time coming when he is not near. 
Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Here we are. Repentance again. The wicked forsake his way and unrighteous man his thoughts. Talking about um, uh, earlier about uh, how Jesus taught that Torah should be, uh, you know, observed from the heart. Well, here it is right here. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. There it is right there. Let him return to the Lord. See, this whole, this whole idea of the Torah being, being observed in your mind is not new at all. Not new. Let him return to the Lord, teshuva, right? That's the repentance, teshuva in the Hebrew, to return. And he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. See, there it is again, again, the concept of you just got to forsake your way, forsake your unrighteous thoughts, return to the Lord, and you'll find mercy. uh, Isaiah didn't say, he didn't say, oh, bring your blood sacrifice and you'll get mercy because that blood will cover your sin. That's not what he said. That's not what he said. He said, return to the Lord. In other words, turn away from your sin, turn away from your wicked way. Let the, let the wicked forsake his way in the, in the, um, the man of iniquity, literally, man of iniquity forsake his way. And the unrighteous man is thoughts. So there it is again. There's Ezekiel 18 right there. And he will have mercy on him. Reminds me of uh, there uh, a couple of weeks ago there um, where it's like, oh, no, you know, Ezekiel chapter 18 is talking about physical death. No, it's not talking about physical death. It's talking about spiritual death. It'll let If you turn from your sin, you will live uh, spiritually. Okay, that's really what it means. Live to God, not living biologically. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out with joy and be led out in peace, led out with peace. The mountains and hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree, and it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Isaiah chapter 56. Thus says the Lord. Keep justice and do righteousness, for my salvation is about to come. Let me just stop here for a second. What, what does this mean? Why are they saying this? Why does, why does Isaiah say this? Because, because of the keeping of justice and the doing of righteousness, that, that's what brings the salvation. And my righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this. And the son of man who lays hold on it, 
who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord has utterly separated me from his people. See, this is cool. This is good, right? Because the, even, the, even the Gentiles shall not say, Oh, I'm not part of the Jews. Uh, you know, uh, I'm different. No. If you're coming to the Lord, you're part of the same group as everyone else who follows the Lord. Right? One law for one people. One law for one people. This is amazing. Isaiah chapter 56, verse um, 3. Verse 3. Gentiles and Jews are one people. Nor let the eunuch say, here I am, a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose pleases me and hold fast my covenant. Even to them, I will give my house. I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than, the son, than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Also, the sons of the foreigner who join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and, and holds fast my covenant, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and will make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel, says, Yet I will gather to him others besides those who are gathered to him. All you beasts of the field come to devour. All you beasts in the forest, his watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark. Sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Yes, they are greedy dogs which never have enough. And they are shepherds who cannot understand. They, they all look to their own way and everyone to his own way, or excuse me, and everyone to his own gain from his own territory. Come, one says, I will bring wine and we will fill ourselves with intoxicating drink. Tomorrow will be as today and much more abundant. Isaiah chapter 57. The righteous perishes and no man takes it to heart. Merciful men are taken away while no one considers that the righteous is taken away from evil. He shall enter into peace. They shall enter in, in their beds, everyone walking in his uprightness. Okay. So those of you who know, those of you who know what we talk about around here a lot, this here is a very important passage of scripture that that answers the question, why is it that sometimes good men die young? Die young? Why is it sometimes that the good die young? The righteous perishes. That means the righteous men die. No, no man takes it to heart. In other words, they, nobody understands why. Merciful men are taken away. Taken away. Remember how Jesus said, uh, taken away, but you know, we got people interpreting that as um, 
is rapture. It's not talking about rapture. It's talking about death. Merciful men are taken away while no one considers that the righteous is taken away from evil. He shall enter into peace. They shall rest in their beds, each one according, or each one walking in his uprightness. So again, this is talking about death. What this is saying is that sometimes good people die young because God is taking them away from the evil to come. And we see this in Genesis. We see this in the book of Jasher. We see this like Methuselah um, was the last man to live before the flood came, the last righteous man apart from Noah and his family. Methuselah, his name actually means his uh Methuselah means his death shall bring. His death shall bring what? The, the flood, right? Or the, the wrath of God, I guess you could say. And so this is what happened. God waited until Methuselah died. Then the flood came. Because the righteous are taken away first, then the evil comes. You know, with the exception of Noah and his family. So in um, the book of Jasher, okay, I'm going to start, I'm going to read here from the book of Jasher, chapter 4, verse 14. I'm going to read through this and go into chapter 5, because this, this beautifully explains this concept. And Methuselah called his name Noah. Um, so this would have been Lamech's son. So Methuselah was his grandfather. Noah, uh, Lamech called him a different name, but Methuselah called him Noah. Uh, the earth was in his days uh, at rest and free from corruption. And Lamech, his father, called his name Menachem, saying, this one shall comfort us in our works and miserable toil in the, in the earth which God had cursed. And the child grew up and was weaned, and he went in the ways of his father Methuselah, perfect and upright with God. And all the sons of men departed from the ways of the Lord in those days as they multiplied upon the face of the earth with sons and daughters. And they taught one another their evil, uh, their evil practices, and they continued sinning against the Lord. And every man made unto himself a god, and they robbed and plundered every man his neighbor as well as his relative, and they corrupted the earth, and the earth was filled with violence. And their judges and rulers went to the daughters of men and took their wives by force from their husbands according to their choice. And the sons of men in those days took from the cattle of the earth, the beasts of the field, and the fowls of the air, and taught the mixture of animals of one species with another, in order uh, thereby to provoke the Lord. And God saw the whole earth that it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted its way upon the earth, upon earth, all men and, and all animals. And the Lord said, I will blot out man that I created from the face of the earth, yea, from man to birds of the air, together with cattle and beasts that are in the field, uh, for I repent that I made them. And all men who walked in the ways of the Lord died in those days before the Lord brought the evil upon man, which he had declared. For this was from the Lord, that they should not see the evil 
which the Lord spoke concerning the sons of men. Right. So that this is it right here. Um, so verse 20, all men who walked in the ways of the Lord died in those days before the Lord brought the evil upon man, which he declared. For this was from the Lord, that they should not see the evil which the Lord spake of concerning the sons of men. Right. So this is, this is the concept of Isaiah chapter 57. The righteous perishes. No man takes it to heart. Merciful men are taken away. No one considers that righteous is, the righteous is taken away from evil. Right? He dies. He's, he enters into peace. Uh, they shall rest in their beds. Uh, each one walking in his uprightness. So this is talking about death. So, and then it goes on to explain it a little bit more. Verse 21 of the book of Jasher, chapter 4. And Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord chose him and his children to raise up seed from, from them upon the face of the whole earth. Chapter 5. It was in, and it was in the 84th year of the life of Noah that Enoch the son of Seth died. He was 905 years old at his death. And in the 179th year of the life of Noah, Canaan, the son of Enosh, died. And all the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. And in the 234th year of the life of Noah, Mahalalel, Mahalalel, uh, the son of Canaan, died. And the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. And Jared... The son of Malalel died in those days. In the 336th year of the life of Noah, in all of the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Verse 5, here it is again. All, all, and all who followed the Lord died in those days before they saw the evil which God declared to do upon the earth. So, the so-called rapture, when, when Jesus was talking about taking away, is not disappearing in the pile of clothes left on the ground, planes falling out of the sky, and car crashes, and, and, uh, and all kinds of nonsense going on. It's got nothing to do with that. It's talking about death. In accordance with the concept that we, we read of in the book of Genesis, also Isaiah chapter 57, and Jasher chapter 4, verses 21, 22, through Jasher chapter 5, verse 5. So, very, very important to understand that. Now, I'm not saying that all the righteous people, that this happens to all the righteous people, because no, it doesn't. A lot of righteous people, they live a long life, and that is their, their blessing. Talk about living a long life, that's blessing? Yes, absolutely. Excuse me. So. Um, yeah, sometimes good men die young. And this is the reason why. Isaiah chapter 57, verse 3. But come here, you sons of the sorceress, you offspring of the uh, uh, adulterer and the harlot, whom you ridicule, or whom do you ridicule? Against whom do you make a wide mouth and stick out the tongue? Are you not children of transgression, offspring of falsehood, inflaming yourselves with gods under every green trees, slaying the children in the valleys, under the clefts of the rocks, 
among the smooth stones of the stream is your portion. They, they are your lot. Even to them, you have poured a drink offering. You have offered a grain offering. Should I receive comfort in these? On a lofty and high mountain, you have set your bed. Even there, you went up to offer sacrifice. Also, behind the doors and their posts, you have set up your remembrance. For you have uncovered yourself to those other, to those other than me and have gone up to them. You have enlarged your bed, and have made a covenant with them. You have loved their bed, where you saw their, their nudity. You went to the king with ointment, and increased your perfumes. You sent your messengers far off, and even descended to Sheol. You were wearied in your way, Yet you did not say there is hope. There is no hope, excuse me. You have found the life of your hand, therefore you were not grieved. And of whom you have been of whom have you been afraid or feared that you have lied and not remembered me, nor taken it to heart? Is it not because I have held my peace from of old that you do not fear me? I will declare your righteousness and your works, for they will not profit you. When you cry out, let your collection of idols deliver you. But the wind will carry them all away. A breath will take them. But he who, who puts his trust in me shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. And one shall say, heap it up, heap it up, prepare the way, take the stumbling block out of the way of my people. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble to, and to revive the, the heart of the contrite ones, for I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry, for the Spirit would fail before me and the souls which, which I have made. Okay. So let's just, let's just meditate on this for just a moment. Verse 15. Think about this for a moment. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. So what is God trying to say here? What is he trying to say? He is saying basically that he is the highest. He lives in the highest place. And he even says, I dwell in the high and holy place. But this is just so profound. With him who has a contrite and humble spirit. Think of it this way. Think of it this way. God lives in a very high, in the highest, most holy place. You cannot get there to meet him there. But you can meet him in the lowest place. So it's like 
like when God said, I am the first and I am the last, I am the beginning, I am the end, I live in the highest place, but I also live with him who is in the lowest place. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who is contrite and humble. Very profound. You can't really meet him up there in this spot, but you can meet him down here in this spot. You can't meet him in that place, but you can meet him in the lowest place. Spiritually speaking, humility, perfect humility, contrite, contrition, very, very powerful concept. So we read verse uh, 16. I'll read it again. For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry, for the spirit would fail before me and the souls which I have made. In other words, I'm not going to fight with you and I'm not going to be angry for like, I'm not going to fight forever. I'm not going to always be angry basically because you, you won't be able to live if I do. The souls would not be able, the spirits would fail before me. Souls, which I've made, you'll all, you, you wouldn't be able to handle it for sure. Verse 17, for the iniquity of his covetousness, I was angry and struck him. I hid and was angry. And he went on backsliding in the way of his heart. I have seen him, I have seen his ways and will heal him. I will also lead him and restore comforts to him and to his mourners. Isn't that amazing? Okay. I create the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace, shalom, shalom. To him who is far off and to him who is near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. But the wicked are like the troubled sea, which when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Again, it says this. Remember it said that earlier in this very same book in Isaiah. There's no peace for the wicked. There's no rest for the wicked. Isaiah chapter 58, a very amazing passage. <laughs> Fasting that pleases God. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. As a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God, they ask of me the ordinances of justice and they take delight in approaching God. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take, you take no notice? In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure. Okay, so let me, let me just take this one step at a time here. And this is so, so important. So these are a people who seem to do all the right things, okay? These are the people. Um, so verse 1 gives you a clue. These people have transgression. They have sin. But outwardly, they look like they're doing, like they seek God. They seek 
They seek God daily. They delight to know his ways uh, as a nation that did righteousness. Okay. Uh, did not forsake the ordinance of the God. So they, they went through all the, mo all the motions. And we were talking about this kind of thing earlier. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They delight in approaching God. So seem like very good people, right? But they fast and God doesn't recognize it. God does not acknowledge it. Why have we afflicted our souls? And you take no notice. So God's answer is, in the day you fast, you find pleasure. In other words, the fast is for you. The idea of fasting is for you to deny yourself your pleasure. Not just that. We'll get to we'll get to we'll get to the bottom line here. It's for a purpose, okay? It's not just to afflict yourself. It's for a purpose. We'll get to the this is so important. If any of you guys know of anybody who, you know, you any Christians who fast and stuff like this, let them know about what we're talking about right now. Send them send them a message. If you guys know of any Christians who like to fast every once in a while, doesn't even if they're not Christians, okay? If they're part of another religion, send them a message and say, "Hey, check this out." Cuz what I'm about to say is just it'll blow you away, okay? If you don't know what I'm some of you probably have heard me talk about this before, but if you haven't, stay tuned. This is the key to having God acknowledge your fast and answering and answer your prayers and blessing. Here it is. It, I mean, we're getting to it. The whole idea of fasting is for you to deny, deny your pleasure. But these people, they fasted, but they find pleasure. In, in other words, excuse me, in other words, they are... Um, they're they are engaging in pleasure in their fast while they're fasting. They exploit all their labors. See, that's a pleasure to them. They exploit all their labors in the footnotes. Exploit, drive hard. All the in other words, they're lording it over pe people. They are mistreating people. So these people, they go through all the. They look so good. They they they're, they're seeking God. Okay, let me just, let's just go through the list here again. These people, they seek God daily. They delight to know his way. Oh, it sounds like a really, really good Christian, right? Uh, a really good believer in God. Uh, a nation that did righteousness, did not forsake the ordinance of their God. So it seems like they went through all the motions. They, they For those Torah observers, they'd be like, hey, I mean, you observed the feast. You did this. You did that. You wore your seat seat, all that kind of stuff. You ask of more, You ask of me ordinances of justice and take delight in, in approaching God. So you delight in you know the, the presence of God. But you fast, you pray, God did not acknowledge, God did not hear. Why? Because in your fast, fasting is supposed to be you denying your pleasure for a purpose. We'll get to that in a moment. In your fast, instead of denying your pleasures, you found pleasure. By what? Driving people hard. It's like you're like, like I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm lording it over the people. Like, um, what was it now? Rehoboam? lording it over the people so it's like you you mistreat people for your own pleasure see some people do this they like to be bossy they like to be hard on people because it makes them feel better about themselves 
That's wrong. They exploit all their labors. They're hard on people, basically. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate. In other words, you in your fast, you do not love one each other like you should. You you're it's you're just fighting all the time. You're fighting, fighting, fighting during your fast. You're finding the pleasure of your strife, debating, fighting. You're finding that pleasure when you're supposed to be denying your, your, yourself pleasure. And to strike with the fist of wickedness. Another, that's another pleasure they, can, they, they cannot afford. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. In other words, God says, that will not work. In other words, God is like saying, I don't care if you seek me daily. I don't care if you delight to know my ways. You're a nation that did righteousness. You forsake, you, you did not forsake the ordinance of, of uh, God. In other words, you, you obey the law of God. Um, you ask, you, you pray, you ask the, for ordinances of justice. You take delight in approaching God. I, I don't care because you know why? Because in your fast, in your fast, excuse me, um, you find pleasure. You're supposed to deny your pleasure. You are lording it over people. You are fighting with people. You are striking with the fist of wickedness. God's like, listen, you're, you're, you are, you are engaging in pleasure at the expense of other people, and you're supposed to be fasting. That doesn't work. You think that you're gonna, you think that you're, you're, you're gonna make your voice heard on high just because you withhold from food, but yet you don't withhold from the other things that actually mean more than food. Verse 5, is it a fast that I have chosen a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? This is not the fast that I've chosen to loose is this not, excuse me, is this not the fast I have chosen, right? So this is th basically, this is what God says. The fast that God is looking for is not just a fast of, of fasting food while you mistreat one another and fight one another and find pleasure. It's a fast of sin, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to help other people free from sin, to undo the heavy burdens. In other words, not to be hard on people, but to be easy on people, to be a blessing to people, not a burden. That's the kind of fast. In other words, put up with people that you can't, you don't normally put up with just because you're fasting that pleasure of being hard on them. You want to undo their heavy burdens, not lay heavy burdens on them. You want to let the oppressed go free. Not to oppress them, but to free them. And that you break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? No, this is amazing. In other words, when you fast, you're fasting food, but why don't you take that food and give it to the hungry instead of keeping it for yourself. Or take the money that you would have spent on that food and give it to the, give it to the poor. 
That's the kind of fast that take, that gets God's attention. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you should, that you bring your house, uh, and, and that you bring to your house the poor that are cast out when you uh, when you see naked that you the naked uh, that you cover him and you hide not yourself from your own flesh in other words basically you be a sheep as per Matthew chapter 25 instead of a goat you serve people when I was hungry you give me to eat when I was thirsty you gave me something to drink when I was when I was sick you came and visited me when I was in prison, you came and visited me. Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily. In other words, the prayers that you've been praying for all this time, those prayers are going to be answered fast. Not waiting any. You're not going to be. You're not, you're not going to wait. There's no wait for these kind of prayers to be answered. It's like before you even finish praying it, God answers it. And your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. Quick answers. If if you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger in the original, uh, literally the sending out of the finger, and speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall, shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones you shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the, rep the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight. The holy day of the Lord honorable and, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So there is another passage that I want to show you guys uh, that that also that goes right alongside with what we're we're talking about here. Okay, now this is found in the Shepherd of Hermas. The Shepherd of Hermas talks about this principle. Okay, so it says here in, I say, sir, I understand not these parables, neither can I apprehend them unless you explain them for me. I will explain everything to you, uh, saith he, and, 
and he, excuse me, and will show you whatsoever things I shall speak with you. Keep the commandments of the Lord, and you shall be a well you you shall be well pleasing to God, and shall be enrolled among the number of them that keep His commandments. But if you do any good thing outside the commandment of God, you shall win for yourself more exceeding glory and and shall be more glorious in the sight of God than you would otherwise have been. If then, while you, com- while you keep the commandments of God, you add these services likewise, you shall rejoice if you observe them according to my commandment. I say to... I say to him, Sir, whatsoever you command me, I will keep it, for I know that you are with me. I will be with you, uh, he said, because you have you have so great zeal for doing good. Yes, I will be with you all. Uh, excuse me, I will be with all, saith he, whosoever have such zeal as this. This fasting, this fasting saith he, is the, if the commandments of the Lord are kept, is very good. This, then, is the way that you shall keep this fast, which you are about to observe. First of all, keep yourself from every evil word and every evil desire, and purify your heart from all the vanities of this world. If you keep these things, this fast shall be perfect for you. Okay, so basically, uh, before I get to, to the next part here, first of all, first of all, the, the most important thing in fasting is to uh, fast from every evil word and every evil desire. I mean, it's not even talking about food here. You know, it's talking. God is looking for you to fast from speaking evil and every evil desire. Purify your heart from all the vanities of this world. If you keep these things, this fast shall be perfect for you. And thus shall you do, having fulfilled what is written, on that day on which you fast, you shall taste nothing but bread and water, and from your and from your meats which you would wouldst have eaten. In other words, in other words, from the food, because this word meat doesn't necessarily mean meat either. It means it's it's an old. This is an old translation. Uh, in the old English, meats or meat can mean any kind of food. In this context, be any kind of food apart from bread, uh, which you would have eaten. In other words, which you didn't eat but you fasted. You shall reckon up the amount of of that day's expen- expenditure. In other words. Figure out how much you saved by not eating that food. Figure out, figure out how much you saved by fasting, which you would have incurred, the expense that you would have incurred, and shall give it to a widow or an orphan or to one in want. In other words, to a poor person. And so shall you humble your soul that he that has, that he that has received from your humiliation may satisfy Satisfy his own soul and may pray for you to the Lord. If then you shall you shall so accomplish this fast as I have commanded you, your sacrifice shall be acceptable in the sight of God, and this fasting shall be recorded. What does that mean? Recorded, basically re- acknowledged in heaven. That's what it means. And the service. So performed is beautiful and joyous and acceptable to the Lord. These things you shall 
So observe you and your children and your whole household, and you shall be blessed. Yes, and all those who shall hear and observe them shall be blessed. And whatsoever things they shall ask of the Lord, they shall receive. So there you have it. It's Isaiah chapter 58 explained. It's so important. Just so important. Because a lot of people, a lot of Christians, most Christians, the vast majority, praying and they don't get answers to their prayer. And sometimes they try to make themselves believe that they get answers to the prayer when they, re- they actually don't. And people who fast and pray but still don't get, still don't get a- answers to the prayer. This is the reason why. Because they're not fasting in the right way. They're not fasting from sin. They're not fasting from uh, evil word and evil desires. They're not fasting from treating people badly. They are taking, they are, they're still getting, they're still having their own little pleasure in their pride, in their arrogance, in the midst of their fast. And so God's like, I'm not even going to acknowledge that fast. Just like how God doesn't acknowledge the blood sacrifice in the midst of sin either. So that's amazing. Absolutely amazing. I love the way that uh, Isaiah chapter 58 ends. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Isaiah chapter 59. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue has muttered perversity. No one calls for justice, nor does any plead for truth. They trust in empty words and speak lies. They deceive, or excuse me, they conceive evil and bring forth iniquity. They hatch vipers' eggs and weave the spider's web. He who eats of their eggs dies. And from and from that which is crushed, a viper breaks out. Their webs will not become garments, nor will they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity, and their acts of their and the act of violence is in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace they have not known. And there is no justice in their ways. They have made themselves crooked paths. Whoever takes that way shall not know peace. Therefore, justice is far from us, nor does righteousness overtake us. We look for light, but there is darkness. For brightness, but we walk in blackness. We grope for uh, for the wall like the blind, and we grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as at twilight. We are as dead men in desolate places. We all growl like bears and moan sadly like doves. We look for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiple for you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us. And as for our iniquities, we know them. In transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood, justice is turned back and righteousness stands far off. 
for truth is fallen in the street and equity cannot enter. So truth fails, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it, and it it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him, and his own righteousness, it sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate. There's a little bit of a a glimpse into the armor of God. And the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for, for clothing, and was clad with zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, according to Accordingly, he will repay fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies. The coastlands will, he will fully repay. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory uh, and his and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will will lift up a standard against him. By the way, I think it's important to understand that some scholars believe that the punctuation here is wrong. Okay? Uh, Because in the original Hebrew, there is no punctuation at all. Actually, there is no, there's not even any vowels in the original Hebrew, let alone punctuation. So they say that the comma should be after in. So it should read, when the enemy comes in, Like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. Verse 20. The Redeemer will come to Zion and to those who turn from transgression in Jacob, says the Lord. As for me, says the Lord, this is is my covenant with them, my spirit upon you, and my words which which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your descendants, nor from the mouth of your descendants' descendants, says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. And by the way, for those of you who are interested in this, this is one of those passages that Paul just absolutely mangled uh, in Romans chapter 11, verse 26 and 27. Uh, I'm not going to go into that right now, but if you um, if you compare Paul's quotation of this passage, Romans chapter 11, verses 26 and 27, compare it with this. It's just absolutely just butchered. Um, Anyway, let's go on. This Isaiah chapter 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people, but the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together, they they come to you, your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be nursed at your side. Then you shall see and become radiant, and your heart shall swell with joy, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you, the multitude of camels shall cover your land, 
the dromedaries of Midian and Apha, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and incense, and they shall proclaim the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall shall be gathered together to you. The rams of Naboth shall minister to you. They shall ascend with acceptance on my altar, and I will glorify the house of my glory. Who are these who fly like a cloud and like doves to their roosts? Surely the coastlands shall wait for me, and the ships of Tarshish will come first to bring your sons from afar, their silver and their gold with them, to to the name of the Lord God and to the Holy One of Israel, because he has glorified you. The sons of foreigners shall build up your walls, and their kings shall minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I have had mercy on you. Therefore your gates shall be open continually. They shall not be shut day or night, that men may bring to you the wealth of the Gentiles and their kings in procession. For the nation and kingdom which will not serve you shall perish, and those nations shall be utterly ruined. The glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the pine, the box tree together, to beautify the place of my sanctuary. And I will make the place of my feet glorious. Also, the sons of those who afflicted you shall come bowing to you. And all those who despised you shall fall prostrate at the soles of your feet, and they shall call you the city of the Lord, Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated, so that no one went through you, I will make I will make you an, an eternal excellence, a joy of many many generations. You shall drink the milk of the Gentiles and milk of and milk the breasts of kings. You shall know that I, the Lord, am your savior, savior and your Redeemer, the Holy One of Jacob. Instead of bronze, I bring. I will bring gold. Instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze. Instead of stones, iron. I will also make your officers peace and your magistrates righteousness. Violence shall no longer be heard in your land, neither wasting nor destruction within your borders, but you shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. The sun shall no longer be your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give light to you. But the Lord will be your but the Lord will be to you an everlasting light, and your God your glory. And this reminds me of in the book of Revelation where it talks about uh, how in, in the New Jerusalem it will not be, you will not see the light of the sun or the moon, but the light of the glory of God. Isaiah 60 verse 20, your sun shall no longer go down, nor shall your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and the days of your morning shall be ended. Also your people shall be righteous, shall all be righteous. They shall inherit the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. 
a little one shall become a thousand, and a small one a strong nation. I, the Lord, will hasten it in its time. Isaiah chapter 61. Now, before we read this, uh, we know that this is actually what Yeshua said in this one of the things he he uh he read from in Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Let's read it in Isaiah first, Isaiah chapter 61. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy, joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Okay, so let's compare this with Luke chapter 4. So, um, verse 16, this is Luke 4, 16. So he came to Nazareth, this is Jesus, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, in other words, he norm he did this all this was his thing um he went into the synagogue on the sabbath day hey let's be like wwjd what would jesus do and stood up to read okay so apparently he was quite active in this synagogue because not just anybody can walk into the synagogue and get up to read okay apparently he must have been maybe like a member there per se a member uh, uh you know of trusted a trusted member of the um, congregation, or if you will, of the synagogue. Again, they would they the the leader of the synagogue or the rabbi there would not have just let anybody stand up to read. It just doesn't work that way. Uh, if you guys know how synagogues operate, verse seventeen, and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. Again, I like to make this. I like to make a point of this. Many of you know what I'm going to say. He was not handed the Bible. He was not handed the Bible. Okay? And and guess what? He had no problem with it. The books of the Bible were kept separate from each other. And that's the way it really should be. Now, I'm not going to condemn anybody for having a Bible because I have lots of Bibles. But, I mean, honestly, that's the way it should be. The books are kept separate. That way you don't mix them up in your own mind. Because I, I think almost all Christians do this. They mix them up in their own mind. They don't understand the individuality of each book and how each book are you know, written in different contexts by different authors and different cultures. It's so important in different times. It's so important to understand all that. It's hard to understand that when you get it all smashed together in one book called the Holy Bible. So he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. So this would have been a scroll. And he had, and when he had opened the book, (laughs) can I just be a little bit sarcastic here? And when he realized it it was just the book of Isaiah, he said, where's the other 65 books? Hey, 
Here's a list of books right now. I'm going to give you a list, a list of 66 books. Put them all together. Slap Holy Bible on the front and divide it in two. Call it Old Testament and New Testament. I'm pretty sure, man, he'd probably be crucified right on the spot if he said that. If you guys know. <laughs> yeah. All right. So it says, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The spirit. So, so this is what he read. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. Okay, so notice something here. He stopped at the acceptable year of the Lord. He did not into, I mean, he stopped in, in mid-verse here, okay? He stopped in mid-verse. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of the vengeance of our God, he didn't, he didn't continue. He didn't, he didn't read the day of the vengeance of our God. According to Luke. Now, maybe he did, and Luke just didn't re record it, but it's interesting that he stopped after the acceptable year of the Lord. Some people uh, speculate that he did that on purpose because he's like, I'm the first time I'm, you know, I'm here to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord now, but later on I'm coming back to the day of the day of the vengeance of our God. That's another day. That's another time. Uh, so very, very interesting. Verse four of Isaiah 61, Isaiah 61, verse four. And they shall rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and feed your flocks. And the sons of the foreigners shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. But you shall be named the priests of the Lord. They shall call you the servants of our God. You shall eat the riches of the Gentiles. And in their glory, you shall boast. Instead of your shame, you shall have double honor. Instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess double. Everlasting joy shall be theirs. Wow. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery for burnt offering. I will, re I will direct their work in truth and will make them an everlasting covenant. Their descendants shall be known among the Gentiles and their offspring among the people. All who see them shall acknowledge them and they shall, excuse me, that they are the po posterity whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with, with her jewels. For as, the, for as the earth brings forth its bud, as the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. Isaiah chapter 64. Verse 1. Excuse me, I said Isaiah chapter 64. Isaiah chapter 62. Isaiah chapter 62, verse 1. 
for Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a lamp that burns. The Gentiles shall see your righteousness and all the and all kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will name. You shall also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of God. You shall no longer be termed forsaken, nor shall your land any more be termed desolate, but you shall be called Hephzibah and your land Beulah. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent. And give him no rest till he establishes, till he, till he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by the arm of his strength. Surely I will no longer give your grain as food for your enemies. And the sons of the foreigner shall not drink your new wine for which you have labored. But those who have gathered it shall, shall eat it and praise the Lord. Those who have brought it together uh, shall drink it in my holy courts. Go through, go through the gates. Prepare the way for the people. Build up, build up the highway. Take out the stones. Lift up a banner for all the people, for the peoples. Indeed, the Lord has proclaimed to the, to the end of the world. Say to the daughter of Zion, surely your salvation is coming. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. And they shall call them the holy people, the redeemed people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. Isaiah chapter 63, very powerful, powerful passage of scripture talking about the day of judgment, when the Lord comes in judgment. Very, very powerful. Judgment day. So what is this? Who is this who comes from Edom? With dyed garments from Bosra. This one who is glorious in his apparel. Traveling in the greatness of his strength. I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Someone asked and saying, reading uh, Bible verses isn't a Bible study. Uh, you haven't. Uh, <laughs> um, what we always do is we read the verses first, then we discuss them. Okay, we we read them first, then we discuss them. So this is from, I'm going to read, this is the last chapter I'm going to read, then we're going to discuss them. If you have any questions, put them in the live chat. I'm also on YouTube Live here as well. So put them in the live chat, put at Christopher, by the way, if you if you don't mind. That way I can see it because there's so much, 
so much going on right now in the live chat, especially over there on YouTube. Um, so after I read this chapter, I'm going to get to your questions and we'll do some discussion. We'll do some. And by the way, we've been discussing and studying nine chapters so far. This is the 10th chapter, 10th chapters that we've been reading and studying. So again, this is Isaiah chapter 63, verse 1. He, uh, who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments from Bosra? By the way, do you guys know that in the Jewish world, they understand Jesus as coming from Edom? At least, I mean, th there is that theory out there, just so you guys know that. Who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments from Bosra? This is one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I who speak righteousness mighty to save. I is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads the, in the winepress. I have trodden the winepress alone and from the peoples no one was with me. Can you imagine Jesus saying this? For I have trodden them in my anger. You know, it says in Jude, when he comes back, he will come back with great anger. He will execute judgment upon the ungodly for all of their ungodly things that they've done in the ungodly ways that they've done them. It talks about this very clearly throughout even the New Testament, how when, when Yeshua, when Jesus comes back, it is, he's coming back with great wrath. He's going to be treading out the wine press. What does that mean, treading out the wine press? The grapes, wine press, the grapes actually symbolize people. The wine press, the, the, the grape juice, as it were, the fruit, the, the, yeah, the grape juice, I guess there's no other way to put it, symbolizes blood. That's what it symbolizes. Um, that's just, you know, we read that in the New Testament as well. I have trodden the wine press alone. And from the peoples, no one was with me. For I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments and I have stained all my robes. For the day of vengeance is in my heart and the year of my redeemed has come. I looked, but there was no one to help. See, Jesus was looking for help. Yeshua was looking for help. No one was, was there. No, no help. He got no help. And I wondered that there was no one, no one to uphold. Therefore, my own arm, my own strength brought salvation for me. And my own fury, it sustained me. I have trodden down the peoples in my anger, made them drunk in my fury, and brought down their strength to the earth. Wow. There it is. That's the, that's the day of judgment. Verse 7. Uh, Isaiah 63, verse 7, God's mercy remembered. I will mention the loving kindnesses of the Lord and the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord has bestowed on us and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which he has bestowed on them according to his mercies, according to the multitude of his loving kindnesses. For he said, surely they are my people, children who will not lie. So he became their savior. In all their affliction, he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. I love that. I love that. 
the angel of his presence. Can you imagine? In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them, and he bore them and carried them all the days of old. I can tell you something. I hope every one of you can also say the same thing. As I look back in my past, I, you, you look at the, some of the things uh, myself and look at some of the things I've been through. It's like, yeah, like there's been time and time and time again I could have died. He bore them and carried them all the days old, but but they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. So they turned. So he turned himself against them as an enemy and fought against them. Then he remembered the days of old, Moses and his people, saying, Where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherd of his flock? Where is he who put his Holy Spirit within them? Ah, what? I thought a lot of people, you know, see, a lot of people believe that Acts chapter 2 is the first time the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within people. It's not. It's the outpouring of the Spirit to the Gentiles. Okay? There was many outpourings of the Spirit uh, to the children of Israel and to His people grafted in uh, many, many times before that. But, um, you know, where is He who put His Spirit within them? Verse 12, who led them by the right hand of Moses with His glorious arm, divided the water before them to make for Himself an everlasting name, who led them through the deep, as a horse in the wilderness that they might not stumble, as a beast goes down into the valley and the Spirit of the Lord causes him to rest, so you lead your people to make yourself a glorious name. Look down from heaven and see from your habitation, holy and glorious. Where are your zeal and your strength? The yearning of your heart and, the, and your mercies toward me, are they restrained? Doubtless, you are our father, though Abraham is ignorant of us and Israel does, does not acknowledge us. You, O Lord, are our father, our redeemer from everlasting is your name. O Lord, why have you made us stray from your ways and hardened our heart from your fear? Return, your, return for your servant's sake the tribes of your inheritance. Your holy people have possessed it but a little while. Our adversaries have trodden down our sanctuary. We have become like those of old, over whom you never ruled, those who were never called by your name. And that concludes the reading of our scriptures tonight. So let's see what's in the live chat. Going nowhere says, do you have any idea of how tall Jesus was? If I can remember correctly, the description of him, I believe, had him at like 5'11 or something like that. Yeah. I believe that's what it was, 5'11. Question for Move says, I recently tagged you in a TikTok video. <laughs> uh, you know, I get so many tags. It gets so, I, I get, it's, I, there, are, there are literally thousands of tags I, I don't even see because I get so many tags on TikTok. Um, I really like to give your, I really like you to give your thoughts on it. You don't have to if you don't want to. Um, uh, it'd be easier. 
if you send a link to me in either my email or direct PM me uh, on TikTok, that would be a lot a better way to contact me. It's just, you know, sorry, but there is just so much, so many mentions and tags and comments that uh, I, uh, I, I just can't get to them all there on TikTok. It's actually a lot. So I appreciate it. Question for move. And yeah, if you could do that, that would be great. Thank you. Travis says, would you consider the acceptable year of the Lord, the year of the Lord's favor to be a jubilee? It seems to me this could be an end times prophecy. Very good question, Travis. I have not, I've not looked at it that way. Um, I'm not saying that you're, that it's not that you're wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong. Um, but I have not looked at it that way. The way I've looked at it is that, um, as a figure of speech, like the year of the favor of the Lord is actually like the whole entirety of thousands of years that God has had mercy upon us so far. The judgment day hasn't come. Um, I looked at it as a, as a, just a figure of speech, um, year versus a day, uh, the day of the, the day of our, the day of the Lord, the day of judgment, um, may or may not be like one, 24 hour day. It may be a longer time than a 24 hour day. And, and, and I thought that, you know, I always looked at the year of the favor of God as being just like an immense amount of time, maybe even thousands of years or, or so. Um, yeah, it's a good question. Travis, thank you for, for asking. Tammy, uh, any worship music you recommend, not modern church, also for younger generations? Oh, that is a tough one. Very tough one. Uh, I, I, uh, that's a tough one, Tammy, because there, there are there are some music I consider to be good. Like, and if I if I mention the name of a, of an artist, uh, then you know, because like for example, there might be an artist out there that has you know m maybe you know ten percent of their of their material is really good, and the other ninety percent is not good at all. But I listen to that ten percent. You know what I mean? So you know. <laughs> If I recommend a certain artist, they'd be like, "Oh, you recommend you recommend that person. Like that person is like, you know, it's not uh, not anything like what." So, um, there are some songs. Let me put it that way. There are some songs I, I like. Um, And again, I, I got to be careful here because once, yeah, because I mean, songs that that really portray, you know, the the truth of scriptures. Like, there's something as simple. Like, there's a simple one too. I'm pretty sure you know about this one. Like, uh, created me a clean heart, oh God, renew a right spirit within me. You know, that's a good one. Um, A lot, a lot of worship music today is very polluted <laughs> with 
lawlessness, as you as you well know, I'm sure you know, uh, there's a lot of it that's very off, totally off. Um, I myself, actually, it's it's in the works. Um, you know, they say if you want it done right, do it yourself. How they say, <laughs> um, uh, so in the works, it's in the works. Um, Lord willing, I mean. Uh, Lord willing, by His grace and by His will, uh, I I will have some music that I'll be playing myself um, in the live streams. We we usually have Hannah come on in the very beginning and play some music, um, and uh, I'm looking at teaming up with her and a few other people and uh, and doing some of our doing some our own music uh, that is that's in line, you know, it's, yeah. So, um, that's something that we're looking at doing soon. I'm thinking perhaps even next month, next month. Um, but yeah, we're looking at doing that soon. So It's it's very very tough. It's almost it's almost like trying to find a uh, you know it's like what where, you know where can we attend a good church or a good fellowship? It's very very tough to. It's hard to find anything like that. Really, it's very tough. Um, Tammy, I would I would uh, just recommend you know like there are there are some of these because you know there are there are some songs from even tradition like modern christianity that that's that's pretty good there are some songs that are pretty good lots of it that's trash but there are some that's pretty good i would just be just doing the berean on every song <laughs> i would just be a berean on every song and and do it that way and that's basically what i do uh myself but lord willing we'll, we'll be doing our own actually uh shortly like i said maybe next month um yeah so, very good question, Tammy. Thank you for asking. Kingdom Concepts, look up Melchizedek Dead Sea Scrolls. All right. Let me make a note of that. Make an old school note of that with Okay. Thanks. Thanks, Pete. Okay. I, as far as um, questions that were directed specifically for me, that's all I saw so far. Um, Sunshine Christina says, Shalom, brother. Shalom. Good to see you. Pious Crusader says, Oh, no, I came too late. Yeah. Good to see you. Pious Crusader, when will you have this music? I, I'm looking at, uh, like I said, next month, um, perhaps at least to have it on the live stream. So um, again, Lord willing, we'll see how it goes. Lord willing, by the grace of God. Uh, and um, yeah, really, really, uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's, it's one of those things that's in the works, so. Okay, I think I got everything so far.
So tomorrow night, for those of you who are new here, if you're just tuning in, um, there's this is this book called The Idea of Israel in Second Temple Judaism. Okay. And this book is uh, an amazing book written by Dr. Jason A. Staples, and we will have him with us tomorrow night, Lord willing, tomorrow night, 7 p.m. Eastern. I mean, it, just an amazing, amazing, uh, um, an amazing book, and and I'm sure that he's going to get into a lot of things. Uh, I've, what I understand, he's 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 also writing a book about uh, about Paul too. So. And some questions to ask about him, about Paul, and ask him about Paul, ask him about Israel. Very interesting stuff, by the way. I mean, I haven't uh, haven't got gone through the whole book yet, but it is very interesting. Like, who is Israel? Um, let me just let me just read this. Um, this will give you guys a little bit of an idea of what to look forward to tomorrow. Okay, um, and again, he's writing another work about. I think it's about Paul. But at least invol involves Paul too. But in this book, Jason A. Staples pr proposes a new paradigm for how the biblical concept of Israel developed in er early Judaism and how that concept in impacted Jewish apocalyptic, apocalyptic hopes for restoration after the Babylonian exile. Challenging conventional assumptions about Israelite identity and antiquity his argument is based on a close analysis of a vast corpus of biblical and other early Jewish literature and material evidence. Staples demonstrates that continued hopes for Israel's restoration in the context of uh, diaspora and Im imperial domination remain central to Jewish uh, conceptions of Israelite identity throughout the final centuries before Christianity and even into the early part of the Common Era. Uh, he also shows that Israelite identity was more diverse in antiquity than is typically appreciated in modern scholarship. His book lays the groundwork for a better understanding of the so-called parting of the ways between Judaism and Christianity and how earliest Christianity itself grew out of hopes for Israel's restoration. So we'll talk about that, and I'm sure we'll all have a lot of questions to ask him um, in the meantime. So, yes, amen. Tomorrow night, same time, same place, Jason A. Staples, Lord willing. So looking forward to it. One John says, uh, thank you, Christopher, and Shalom. Thank you very much, brother. Shalom multiplied back to you as well. As always, Tammy says, wow, I'm so excited for new music. I am too. I am too. So, yeah, and you know what? Pray. You know, keep it, in, you know, if I can put a prayer request out there, yeah, pray about it as well. Caballero says, uh, Thank you so much for today's reading. What a powerful chapter. Isaiah 58, The Shepherd of Hermes, is an exciting book too. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much, Caballero. Blessings, blessings, brother. Shalom. Tammy says, um, 
What a great meeting tonight. We'll definitely be watching again tomorrow. Thank you so much for your dedication with getting the truth out. And you know what, as well, Tammy, I know that um, you, you are familiar with uh, Dr. Bart Ehrman's work as well. Uh, this is a student of Dr. Bart Ehrman. So uh, you might find that interesting as well. Um, the Real Truth said, Shalom all. Shalom, shalom, shalom. To Yah be the glory. Says good night, y'all, and shalom. The Great Deception says thank you, brother. Much love and blessings to you all. Thank you, guys. All right, all right. As always, you guys are awesome. I appreciate you guys. I appreciate every one of you. I play the. I just pray great blessings upon you guys. As always, I pray the Lord bless you and keep you and make His face to shine upon you, lift up His countenance upon you and give you wonderful, wonderful shalom. Amen, amen. See you tomorrow night.